Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with Bolanle Williams Ali. I might have messed that up. She is the CEO and co-founder of Mancini, a 100-year-plus tech-driven architecture and design firm in New York City. Uh, in addition to her C-suite roles, she's a mom of two and a dynamic business leader with 14-plus years of experience in finance in the built industry, which is why I'm so excited to have her here because she's a CEFO architecture firm, which we love. Um, she's also the author of Build Boldly, Chart Your Unique Career Path, uh, and Lead with Courage, which is a practical playbook written to ignite individuals and leaders to take bold, courageous action. Um, I am so happy to have you here, Bola. I read your book. I, I flew through it. And that's not, um, you know, I get books for people to get on. And sometimes it's a slog. Sometimes I don't have them on. But the way it was written, the story, everything was just from the struggles. You know, like architecture is not the easiest. And you didn't even kind of start in architecture at all. You were just finance nerd, you know, with the best implications of that term possible. Um, so quickly tell us how you got into architecture. Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. And I love my story. Sometimes I, you know, <laughs> when I, when I'm thinking back to how I landed into the industry, um, first of all, let me just go one step back, how I came to America wanting to study uh, computer engineering from Nigeria, uh, ended up taking physics the first term. And I was like, this is absolutely not for me. I'm sure there are lots of like college freshmen who, who do the same yep. um, and no background in finance, but very strong in math. That was my first uh, subject love in high school. But you know what? I like all these math courses I'm taking. I think I'm going to switch my major to math. So I switched my major to math um, and I do an applied bachelor's and master's program in math that's supposed to allow me, you know, apply this degree in real world. Get to the end of graduate, you know, end of my degree. I have no internships. I'm an international student, so I need work. Right. And the way I end up in the industry is, you know, I'm there like searching all sorts of jobs. Like, where can I apply my skill to? What can I do? And I stumble on this job listing in New York Times classified online. This is like before LinkedIn, before Indeed and all, all the various career websites. And I see a, a position for a junior project uh, accountant in an architecture firm. Now, the only reason I apply for that job, I, I, I can see it clearly, I apply for that job is because in high school, I had taken technical drawing for one term. And so I said, oh my God, I, you know, this must be fate. <laughs> yes. um, I have, I have like, I loved to carry my TV board and T-square in high school. Maybe this could be an interesting industry to, um, to work in. And so I applied 
and went for the interview. I had absolutely nothing to lose, right? Because again, like I said, graduation was there two weeks after and I had said, listen, I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to talk about like my degree, the hard uh, thesis I was working on. And if they love me, they love me. If not, I'll pack my bags and head back home to Nigeria. It, it, was, a, it was a good run. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, they ended up loving me uh, also because the guy sitting across from me studied math in school, right? So we connected on that, um, on, on our subjects and what we did in school. And I think he could just see that, you know, I was one who was able to think outside the box, one who was able to now really communicate my skills, right? Like I spent five years studying this really hard topic. And I was able to some way communicate how I could apply those skills to this position. Now, it, realistically, junior project accountant is just, you know, anyone who did anything in the accounting department. I was like, you know, at the bottom of the food chain. So I was just excited to land the job and, and um, you know, start working at HLW International, which is the first firm that I worked at. So that's how I landed in the industry. And then here we are now. 15 years, right? Because we graduated in May. Yeah. So I'm about to hit my 15 year mark um, of being in the industry. And it's been one heck of a journey. Yeah. That interview, I remember you describing it in the book and I go, that's the perfect attitude to have, but it's so hard to have because you remember trying to get jobs is hard. And especially maybe it was around the same time when I was doing it, it was around 2008, the crash, very, yeah. very difficult. Yeah. So it's like, you have to care, you have to put in effort, you have to prepare and all that. But if, if you go in too nervous or too stumbling or too whatever, it just, it doesn't seem right because it's about communication. It's about relationships and communication can just be, you know, talking oral, but what you translated is like, oh, I can communicate in this language of math, which is accounting too. I um, mean, it's this whole other level where people liked what I get a lot from parents that want me to talk to kids or something like that is, oh, you know, they have to be good at math. And I go, not really to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't really have to be that good. They just have this theory in their head that they have to be good at, at math, but they, but they really don't. Um, so anyways, that was just an aside. Um, but before we go further down that train, what's, awesome about your story is, is kind of carving out your path. And that's one of the themes is, is making your own playbook. But I kind of want to dive into a story about you crocheting on the subway. Could you tell that story and what that led to? Yeah. So, um, my, my great, my grand aunts had taught me how to crochet in Nigeria. We actually improvise. I think she used like bicycle like wires mm -hmm. and maybe like two pins. And then I hadn't crocheted for many years. Well, so that was knitting and I hadn't crocheted for many years. Um, but however, you know, I'm newly married. We're, we're now trying for kids. And um, in that process of, of, you know, trying to have a child, I ended up getting pregnant. I'm going to get really vulnerable to your, <laughs> for your listeners. But I end up getting pregnant and end up actually losing uh, the pregnancy. And for me, crocheting then sort of became an outlet. I started crocheting things for my, my nieces, nephews, and I really enjoyed it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to 
make a way to give back to other, you know, other kids uh, through these very cute hats. I wish I could, I could show you a picture. I used to make like little owl hats, Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. and all of these cute things. Um, so, so I, I decided that I was going to crochet um, 20 hats to donate to a NICU or 30 hats to donate to a NICU. And um, I would be in the subway, right? Like on my subway ride, sitting there with my yarn and just crocheting. I completely like just plugged out of, um, you know, wanting a child. And I was like, I'm just going to do this great thing. What year Uh, was this? This was in 2013. Okay. Sounds I was wondering if we are uh, on, I was there around 2008, 2009, if we were on the same train, you know, which would be (laughs) hilarious. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it sparked conversation, right? People were like, what, what are you making? Are those like our eyes? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, long story short, end up crocheting this beautiful set of, uh, you know, 30 hats. I go drop it off in a NICU um, in Brooklyn. And I will never forget, it was May 1st. I dropped it off May 2nd. I thought I was pregnant with my first daughter. Oh, my only daughter, but my first child. And that was completely special for me. Uh, so my nonprofit, which sort of was born out of, you know, that very first project is called She Builds Lives. And, um, you know, over the years, we've done several different crochet uh, initiatives where we have either given back to other NICUs or, you know, centers uh, for kids with cancer. But then now over the years, it has evolved into um, a nonprofit that's focused on uh, providing educational access, resources, opportunities for children living in low-income communities in Nigeria. So we actually have an adopted school. We completed our first school building uh, in a floating community called Makoko in Lagos, Nigeria. And um, we have other projects that we do all across Nigeria. So just from that one seed, yeah. of crocheting 30 hats, I've now done well over like 20 different projects, but I just do a little bit at a time. We're going to be 10 next year. We turned nine this year. Awesome. Did you say a floating city? Yes, it's a floating community. Um, it, it's, it's very interesting. So all their homes are built on stilts. The school is, is built on stilts. And from an architectural perspective, this is actually, it's, it's, it blew my mind how we, we constructed the school, right? So they actually like sand fill. So it's not deep, deep, but it's deep enough. They sand fill uh, the, the water <laughs> on yeah. the space. And the way the, um, they go into the forest, they get the bamboos. Um, they know how to build their homes and building structures so that it can weather storms, weather all sorts of like, you know, uh, weather conditions let me let me put that that and what i did essentially was provide funding right i i have never seen a community come together so fast to build a school it took us four months this is because you know for them their their kids it's the the lives of their kids at stake right yeah and um the the guy the the principal who who runs the school if he was in the states he would be like the head of construction or the project manager right it called the person who did all the the design like oh this is our head carpenter in America that's like the yeah. head of construction right but these people um, it was very important for us to use local materials to 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 really pull them into the 
design and build of the structure because they live there, right? So it's very easy. I, I, I say this a lot to nonprofits who go into uh, maybe various different communities, like really listen to the people, really pull the folks in. They are the ones who are living day to day. I could have brought like my fancy Mancini uh, technology yeah. there, but it, it might not really work. You understand what I mean? A hundred percent. We can help elevate, but we're not on ground. So, so yeah, it's been a fun experience. I think that's a huge point. One, because you know, you've seen like, you can't even submit to the building department in four yes. months in America. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's yep. been the, the, the kind of issue and we won't go into politics or anything like that, but this idea that, you know, Hey, we know better. We'll come in. And it's happened throughout history all over yes. the place. And yes. it's like, there's a, there's a reason things are set up the way they are locally. There's a reason why blanket solutions don't work there, you know? Um, yeah. So we all know that. Well, I don't, I don't think we all know that actually. I don't think we all know that. So it's a good point to bring up. Yeah, I don't think so. And so, you know, for me, it's very important. Like when I'm, when I'm sharing about the work that we're doing, that I also, you know, highlight and spotlight uh, the folks on ground. Um, I don't, even in terms of needs for the children, right? They vary, right? Yeah. So I can't just say, oh, I'm bringing you uh, these books or like you should use this technology. I'm like, what is it your children need, right? Yes, we know they need education, but do they also need a meal? My, my daughter here, you know, we're fortunate. Uh, I acknowledge our privilege, but like before she takes a test, her school sends us a note saying, Make sure your child has eaten like a very good breakfast before they come and like, you know, take this statewide test. But these kids, right, their parents want either are also low income. So some of them might be coming to school with no food. Um, They're, you know, what is their health conditions? Like what are the various uh, things that affect them? And how can like nonprofits like mine also partner with other nonprofits where we sort of build an ecosystem and if they say, okay, we need food, we need education, right? We need um, uh, some sanitation or health uh, education piece. Um, how can we then tap into our network so that we can provide the best for them? Yep. And it, it, it goes granular because even thinking about the individual, uh, I have a, in college, I had to take statistics. It was terrible for me. I, my brain could not work at all in that area. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, let's say that I was into it and, and decided that it was the coolest thing and I was going to push this on other people. Well, some kids may not like it whatsoever and you are doing them no service by forcing, yes. you know, this onto them. So what is their passion? What gets them going? How can you teach um, in different ways? And one of the best is to demonstrate um, yes. rather than just just lecture. Um, but again, I feel like we could go on multiple, multiple tangents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, I could talk about that all, you know, all day. So, yeah, trying to stay on course. Uh, one of the things you said in the beginning of the book was that you realized your path was kind of focused around a couple different things: relationships, curiosity, and then bold action. Um, and you encourage people to kind of write their own playbook. And bold is an acronym. Ac- Did I say that right? Ac- uh, acronym. Acronym. There we go. Uh, for being yourself, uh, open yourself up to new opportunities, lift others and develop relationships. And that's kind of why I asked about that first story, because I think it does every one of those things. 
Um, yes. Do you guys want to expand on how, did this just come together in your book or, or was it in your mind back in the day? Yeah. So um, as we read in the book, I've done quite a bit <laughs> uh, in, a, in, in a short amount of time. 14 years might seem long, but it's, it's really a, a short time. And what the, you know, the process of writing the book, what that did for me was um, almost forced me to really slow down and take a look, look at, um, you know, pivotal moments in this rich career that I've had that I could never have envisioned when I applied for the job in like, you know, the learning center in college. And I noticed that, um, you know, moments where, you know, there was either like an exponential jump shift, move, um, be it professionally, even be it personally, was uh, around this word bold, right? Like, and for me, bold is like really being courageous, right? Where you're like, it's either I stay stagnant or it's either like I fly and, you know, let me take this step. Whatever's on the other side, you know, is either going to be be successful for me, I'm going to learn from it. So that's where I really, when I really think about bold. Now, I love acronyms. I don't know if it's a math thing or, you know, yeah. leading to the, <laughs> leading to whatever side of my brain, but. You should go to NASA you know. next. You'll fit in very well there. <laughs> They're full of acronyms. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, I noticed that um, in those moments when I was, you know, reviewing, I was like, no, I was really fully Borandi. I was really myself. That very first interview as a 21-year-old, when I walked in there, it was because I made a decision to just show up as me. You know, it was um, regardless of what the outcome was going to have to be. And there was something that you had mentioned, right, before when, when you had said, oh, it's really hard to, like, actually make that decision. That's true, because when I look back at my track record of all the interviews I was doing, when I wasn't myself, when I was trying to be like this, you know, perfect New York City financial, I don't know, yeah. first-time first employee, it didn't work out because that wasn't me. And I think, you know, if you are now being, you know, having done many interviews, you can easily tell if somebody doesn't really know what they're talking about or if they're not themselves or if they're really nervous or whatever it is they, they bring in. I felt like, you know, moments in my career where um, I really saw growth was when I was myself. So I was like, of course, be, be yourself. And then, oh, right, opening, opening your mind to new definitions and opportunities. And you had also mentioned about the financial crisis. For me, there was opportunity there to um, move up, to step up, to learn, um, being very curious about how project accounting worked. How could I support my firm during this really tumultuous year time? Granted, I, I always say that I say I was probably kept because I was also the cheapest <laughs> employee, yeah. right? I was newly employed, <laughs> yes. you know, making I don't know what. So, but for me, it was an opportunity was an opportunity to learn more, to develop more. If I was going to stay in the industry, I really needed to know this project accounting, project management thing through and through, right? And so I, I, I keep going back to that early um, examples, but even till now, even through COVID, right? Yeah, constantly learning. I, I am constantly having to look for now opportunities 
uh, when it comes to leading Mancini, leading my firm along with my partners, right? How are we doing that? What opportunities are there so that we can move from survival mode to thrive mode? Like, how are we being there for our people? You know, so, oh, opening my mind to new definitions. And L, clearly you've seen through my nonprofit. And even in your organization, even in my firm, like, how am I lifting other women up? How am I lifting other mothers up, right? So motherhood is a huge part of my career. A lot of the things that I do, if I didn't work in a company that uh, was fully advocating for, you know, um, mothers, mothers or parents, sorry, parents having, um, you know, the flexibility that they need when it comes to their time, when it comes to little children or whatever age your children are, it's almost impossible, right? We wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do all these things if, if I wasn't lifting, right? And so I'm lifting, having been lifted, I'm now also lifting others within my firm. And then also like, what are the ways in which uh, you can help others outside of your sphere, right? So I think a lot of people sometimes tend to get um, really, you know, afraid of the size, like, oh my goodness, do I have to like, you know, go set this nonprofit, do a, a $200,000 fundraiser, whereas my very first fundraiser was for like $500, you know, like, and I was like, yo, if I raise $500, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Yeah. And now, you know, I've, I've probably raised over the last nine years, well, over $100,000. So some people, to some people that might not seem a lot, but that funds, uh, you know, makes a huge impact. And D is, you know, don't wait, do it now, right? So I am, I'm all for like great intentions, but you have to execute. <laughs> you have to execute. You ha- How else would you know what you're good at, what you're not good at, what what's um what what requires you staying up at night right maybe you've had this idea and you've been mulling over it well just try it start small if not you would never know and you would just be there living with a uh or what if what if right what if there's something that you want to do in your organization within your firm right approach your boss what's the worst that will happen they'll say no but okay, maybe they say yes. Maybe they say, okay, let's test this out a little bit. So, so at Mancini, we promote a very like entrepreneurial spirit, right? We are like very scrappy. What is your idea? We, you know, we are always open as a leadership group to listening to our people's ideas because that's how you get stronger. That's how your firm gets stronger. That's how you, you build a company people want to work at. Yep. Where they feel seen. There is... Um a kind of a, um, a workplace culture issue that's being discussed, uh, especially in architecture tech all over the place. Um, and I don't know where you stand and, and that's fine. Um, but one of the smartest things that I thought you did from your book was you're in the accounting department, right? You're the accountant lady, but you decided to walk over and talk yes. to the architects, the project designers, the designers, all that, and learn about their projects. And the amount that I thought that that was such a smart move, not just um, like literally for yourself, for the team, for the company, all of it was just, just made so much sense. And I'm on the side of uh, human interaction really matters and, and being able to just walk over or being able to hear something and go, oh, I have a solution for you is, is big. 
there's on the opposite side, there's the flexibility, the, the parenting responsibilities and all that. Um, but I love that that fit within your kind of whole framework of, of developing relationships, you know, creating opportunities. And I yes. don't know if people realize like some of the feedback I got when I was younger was, was stuff that I thought was almost second nature. Like, oh, you showed up on time. You did a good thing. You were, you know, interested in your work. And like, that's, those base level things can take you so far. Yes, yes. I, um, I agree with it. And I think, you know, again, being completely uh, transparent, I think like that was part of the hesitation I had when it came to writing the book. Like some of these things I did, I was like, oh, it's, it's, like other oh, people don't do that <laughs> like are yeah. people really going to read the book and like uh, have an aha moment or like see something different um in in the way in which they're working and and like taking these things that i've done and applying it to their own paths again unique paths like will it actually help and you know having conversations just around it and 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 people are saying no pe- pe- some people do not think this way right? In other accounting firms, they don't think about um, really pulling their accountants, again, into the project, giving, you know, I'm not saying I need to know how to open a Revit model (laughs) or do something in AutoCAD or whatever the case is, but your numbers help inform um, lots of things that are happening on the project. I say the firm's numbers or project numbers are the nth sense of design, right? So me, you, as a Explain that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's a play on the sixth sense, right? Okay. But it's a math uh, joke, right? So the nth sense means like it's it's never ending. Like your numbers will always tell me uh, what is happening. Yeah, that end that just keeps, yeah. Remember from from high school? Oh, man. (laughs) You're triggering me. My my degree is still coming through. Yes. But pretty much, um, you know, early on in my career, I could see that if a project manager, for example, set up a plan, right? You you win a project, you set up a plan, and your plan is to make sure your project is, one, successful from a client experience, client deliverables perspective, but also successful from a financial sense, well, let's say you set up a plan and you say, oh, I, I only expect three people to work 20 hours a week, I don't know, in, in schematic. Well, who is paying attention to how people, you know, like when the project actually starts, who's paying attention and who's raising up their hands very early on to say, hey, I know you said these three people were going to work 20 hours a week, but now they're working 40 hours a week. And how does that affect your full project plan? How does that affect where you're going? Do you need to make adjustments, right? And so I think um, one of the things that a lot of architectural firms, small, depending on your size, right, don't do really quickly is set up these rhythms where you're reviewing your numbers um, more frequently. You, You pick the rhythm if it's weekly, depending on, of course, firm size, right, weekly, monthly. What are, what are the financial rhythms that you've set in place on something as simple as tracking time to make sure that your project overall is going to be successful? And so for me, the way in which I then decided to do that was, I was like, I need to know a little bit more about where you are in your project. I need to be able to say, oh, you know, if you're in schematic, 
and you've gone over in schematic, how are we going to make that up in DB? Or are you going to go ask for an ad service? So your numbers allow me ask you, the project manager, who is so knee deep into like just managing your teams and you know dealing with that client's uh, relationship. I'm able to like at month end raise my hand and say, hey, this is what's <sighs> happening. Um, what is our plan, right? And so your numbers to me is almost like a GPS, right? We we we've come a certain way. We know how much you've spent, how much you've built. Like now, tell me where you're going. How do we adjust where we're going? And it minimizes either project loss if your job is losing money, or if you're successful. Well, what are you doing on your projects? And why are your projects really successful? And can we now replicate that mm. on other projects? What is it telling us about the client that we're working with? Is it that you have a really good client? Are they really good payers, right? Do they pay based on your, based on your terms that you say in your proposals? You need your project accountants or you need your accounting team uh, providing you this information. So that's why I am extremely passionate about um, this, like seeing the accounting team or your finance team as a critical member of your project team, right? So even though they're not, they're not billable, but there's so much leverage, there's so much to learn rather than just interfacing with them as billers. Well, and too, just, you know, I think people can tell your personality, you're very nice. You'd probably be, you know, fun to hang out with, fun to chat. <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference between a financial person coming to you, pretending I'm the uh, project lead on this and saying, yeah. you're not meeting your numbers, you know, you yeah. screwed up. How are you going to do it first? Hey, Bolo, what's up? <laughs> hey, I've been looking at yes. the numbers, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like that touch, that touch is way different. It's much more inviting. It's much more conducive to actual solutions. Yeah, yeah. And and again, you know, I recognize not, it's it's a learning um, or a re-education for not just the project ma managers, but like the accounting team too, right? So if you happen to work in a very like traditional firm uh, where maybe you haven't had a leader who has given you this, um, uh, you know, ability to like have this relationship. I understand like not every accountant will also be like me, but I am, I am encouraging leaders to like really look into the accounting team, give them more, um, more flexibility, challenge them a bit more, right? Like how else can we be helping? How else can we be supporting uh, the folks on the floor? How, you know, what do you know about the project? And, and I will say, you know, some of this uh, way of thinking also came from my foundation at my very first job, right? So the CFO who I worked with there, um, you know, I remember him saying, put together like a, a, uh, a project health status, like what is the project, what, what phase is the project in, you know, where are we quarterly, right? So some of these um, things that I do now came from foundation, then it just so happens that, like you said, I'm a nice person, right? So even if your project is sucking, I will not, <laughs> um, I'm like, listen, it's just numbers, Yep. but we need a plan. We need a plan, we need to understand um, how we either fix the problem or how we amplify the, the success that you have and what can we learn from that? What are you really doing right and how can we do more of that? Yep, absolutely. Great message. 
Um, I encourage everyone to get the book. It was great. Um, it was, like I said in the beginning, well-written, compelling, interesting. And one thing too, when, when, I, when I was younger, I remember struggling through projects and I had a mentor and he obviously knew more than me, had another team. And at one point he said, he said, Alex, we're doing another project just as big over in the same town over there. And we're going through the same struggles. So your book, putting that out there saying, Hey, even if this does seem uh, like basic or, or there is some struggles, I did the same thing, you know, and it's okay that you're going through that too, because that's what happens in life. It's not all easy. It's not all roses and you didn't paint that picture either. It's, um, but you can take charge. You can make a plan. You can have principles to help lead to a better future. So thank you for all that. And then I I just want to leave you with anything that you want to um, shout out anywhere people can reach you at any final, final words. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, final word word would be, you know, just keep being bold, right? What does bold say? I guess it's not, not, this is now not a word, but a sentence, right? Advice, but um, uh, really think about what bold means to you and what are some of the things that you would like to accomplish in your career, um, professionally or personally, and pick one thing and then don't wait, do that thing, right? So take that bet on yourself. We're all figuring it out. No one has it all, all, all done. But it's it's it will always make you better when you take that uh, bet on yourself and be bold. Uh, in terms of where you can connect with me, you can find me on my website, which is www.bolanlewo.com. So bolanlewo.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and on social. You can like connect with me on Instagram at Balanli underscore HQ. You'll see my cute little kids and maybe sometimes some of my workout uh, videos to encourage you to work out. Um, yeah. Thank this you. This was so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Well,